Hello, and welcome to Working Title, a podcast where two writer friends stumble through books we love, looking for writing secrets. I'm Dana, and this week I'm mostly recovering from a huge stint of work productivity that made it very difficult to do personal project writing and trying to like give myself a couple days of breathing room to try and let creative juices steam back in, which hopefully today will be a part of. But yeah, breaks breaks are part of this process. Recovery, yeah, everything needs to recover a little bit and take it slow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm Leah, and I'm trying to find freedom in the plans I've created for my my novel, if that makes sense. Mm. Really struck by this tweet I saw. I forget the author, but they were talking about how something they wish they'd known as a beginning writer was that as you're writing a novel, the novel should change and it you know, it, it mm-hmm. it's not done until it's done, right? It's not done until it's published. And even then, I mean, um, you might still have things that you wish you changed or whatever. But really, I think the important part was when you're drafting, feeling free enough to change things and to yeah, be okay yeah. with that change and not to view it as like a delay or a setback, like being okay with just playing with the idea. That sounds so wise, and I think, like, (laughs) makes a lot of sense, especially to remember if you are someone who's more of the, um, on the plotter side of the, uh, what's the, I know people say plotter and pantser, but there was another word for pantser that's a little bit more respectful of that process that I heard, but now I can't remember what it was. like a discovery Yeah, like discovery style. Maybe that was it. But if you're more on the plotter side, Mm -hmm. it can be easy to feel like, okay, successfully executing my novel means that I follow my plan. Mm -hmm. And then finding it where you're like, oh, just kidding. This is going to happen. Can easily initially feel like, oh, no, I'm I'm messing up the plan instead of I'm improving the novel (laughs) is what I'm doing. And it's okay if the plan has to get messed up or changed around if you're going to create a better version of the story you're working on. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to hold those things together in your brain. At least, yeah, definitely a harder thing for me sometimes. Yeah, I think it's also, at this point, the story I've been writing has gone through so many variations. And in some cases, I've gone back to an older idea. And it's, I started to feel like, are these, when are these variations stalling tactics? When are they helpful? It started to feel like it wasn't progress. And so just seeing a, a writer be like, no, that is progress. Like it is progress to go in weird loopy circles instead of even, not even a straight line, like a, a I, I kind of viewed it as like a line that is almost like more exponentially growing with a few like little zigzags, but it's really like, a, it's like bear me, bear me, baby. You know? That's exactly where my brain went. <laughs> so I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. yes, yes, I'm following you. But also the description, you're just, I'm just seeing. Jeremy bear me. Jeremy bear me on a whiteboard. <laughs> yep. Yep. Just as long as you don't get stuck in the little, the little dot. dot of the eye. Yeah, that's, 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 that's when you know you've gone astray. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, just avoid the dot and you'll be good. Any of the other loops are safe. Yeah, loops, loops are part of the process. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and speaking of the process, today we're not just talking about our writing processes generally. We are shaking it up today with a red herring episode. That means that instead of discussing books we've read recently, we're doing something completely different. For this red herring, we're going to do something a little unusual for our writing podcast and uh, write. Uh, So (laughs) this season specifically, our red herring episodes are going to be all about writing exercises, writing games that we're going to try to use to guide us through starting a writing project building on it, and then actually finishing it. So that's something that we are both setting out as a goal for this. Be super cool if you wanted to join us, but no pressure. Join us. A little bit of pressure for me. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of pressure, but like just like nice, friendly pressure. Encouraging pressure. Yeah. But this was, this was, uh, I think, initially your idea, Leah. So I don't know if you want to like explain a little bit why we decided to uh, do this for this new season, why we decided to use our red herring episodes, which can be anything, but we're going to use them for this particular purpose. One of the major reasons is very selfish, and it's that I wanted to finish something. Uh, <laughs> I just want- We love it. It even sounds good. It does. It feels so satisfying. And because yeah, I'm working on this novel, I've been working on it for two years, and it like an end feels so far away. And so I, I kind of I want to find more ways to kind of carry forward lightness and practice joy in my writing. And I want that to be part of the podcast. I, I also think it I don't know. It's weird to have a writing podcast where the, the writing isn't being shared at all. And we're not, yeah. <laughs> we're, you know, we might be putting into practice some of the lessons we're learning into our novel, but I think there's value in practicing those skills in kind of a multitude of ways. Um, and there's value in taking breaks from your big epic project to do a little bit of a few small ones to kind of remind yourself that writing can just be kind of this like fun, loose thing that you do. It doesn't, again, this, you know, I, we talked about this so much in the last season about not feeling the need for perfection and not feeling like you have to tell the story, but if you're just working on your novel all the time, it can be really easy to sink back into that. So I kind of want to take some of those lessons we learned in the last season and apply them and get something done and just put it out there and let it go. Yes. No, I love it. And that is very much like we're not being specific yet about what is going to come out of this process, right? Like maybe it'll be a short story. Maybe it'll be flash fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it'll be poetry. Would It all, we'll see what comes out of it. But the idea of like, let's, let's take something to completion And I think, uh, too, one of the things that I was definitely thinking about that I know you brought up, because initially we were talking a little bit about trying to use uh, these to highlight writing exercises, because one of the things that I've found recently, sort of recently discovered the joy of a lot of different writing games and exercises throughout my life, a lot of times, like prompts that people have brought up for writing just haven't been ones that work for me, right? Like a lot of the write your perfect day. I'm like, I hate this. This is so boring. I want out. Like I get, I just, it's not, doesn't work for me. And I've recently discovered different kinds of writing exercises that really do. 
And it has felt like this awesome hack into that like creative part of your brain and a, and a really easy way to practice shutting off the critical voice, which is a key part of the process. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, what you were talking about too, in terms of we need, we need the creative joy and we need to know how to sometimes tell our critical brain to like take a walk mm -hmm. and come back later. Take a hike. Yeah, take a hike. <laughs> but we also need them to come back, yeah. right? Like writing is not just a process of how can I just create, you know, creative, <laughs> joyful nirvana forever until the thing is done. You're going to, you need to do that so that you can bring in, you can like get rid of that fear of everything I say has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But your critical thinking brain is very useful for like editing and mm -hmm. deciding different things about where you want the story to go and building themes and all sorts of good stuff. And like a lot of exercises really focus on the first part, right? Of like, yeah. how do we bring in that creative energy? And that's great because like we spent a whole season talking about how we've struggled with that. And I imagine we're going to keep talking about it because it's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. But it also feels like maybe the next stage of that learning is not just how do you how do you tell the critical voice to just like chill for a minute because you're going to do something just creative and silly and fun and it's it's OK. Mm -hmm. And then also bring that voice in in a way that's productive, in a way where you yeah. can be critical about your writing without losing sight of the joy and without letting it just become this like massive fearful thing because mm -hmm. you need both of those parts of your writing brain right to be joyful and to be critical and learning how to like actually switch between them in a way that's just helpful and productive yep. without getting like stuck in either of those parts yeah that definitely i feel like that when you suggested that that was something that really jumped out at me is like that's probably a really good thing for us personally to practice yeah, I think it's, I think it'll kind of build up our revision chops, so to speak, because revising a short story feels much less intimidating. And also in part, because there's, there's not as much time investment in it. So you feel, I think in, in some ways, this isn't maybe true for everyone, but I, I can imagine how you don't feel as close to the story in a sense. So the revision, it's easier to revise a short story from a distance and with mm -hmm. feedback than maybe it is sometimes with a novel because it's so sprawling and there's just so many more kind of mental trip ups. There's so many more opportunities for that in my experience in a novel than there is in a piece of flash fiction or a short story. Yeah, no, I was going to say, it's harder to wrap your arms around it mm -hmm. and so much easier to be like working on this chapter and trying to make this chapter as good as it can be. And the whole time you're like, but I think the beginning really needs work. And like, mm -hmm. how do I focus on this when there's so much other stuff? And I think you're right, like distance can be a really key part of that critical thinking. But the problem with like longer work is that often that distance also comes with, wait, shit what happened in chapter seven again like, i forgot i yeah, forgot yeah. what did i name what color is this character's eyes <laughs> and like the nice thing with a shorter piece of work is it it does make it easier to get really into the details and then like zoom out and get distance mm -hmm. and get distance where you still have a full sense you're like i still see the arc of this whole thing mm -hmm. i still feel like i can hold on to it even though i set it aside for a couple days to like get some distance so I can review it you know, from a from a different perspective. That's harder to do when you're dealing with novels and especially if you have written 
too many words in those novels, which is something I definitely have some experience with. Yeah, too many words or too many variations that the story could be. And then you're like, well, and then you just put them all in your draft and you're like, I'll figure it out later. And then later comes around a little bit too quickly. Mm -hmm. And your voice, I found that, I think I'm... I, I'm developing a sense of my voice, but I still find my voice is very easily influenced by other writing that I love. Oh, yeah. And I think short stories can also offer an opportunity to play in those other voices that maybe you're not writing for your current project. So it's an opportunity for us, even as we're reading through the season, and if we see something we really like in a novel, to just kind of take that out and try that technique yeah. In a in a shorter form to just see how it feels. Yeah. I love that. Experimentation. Mm-hmm. All about experimentation and finishing. Finishing, finishing, finishing. That is that is the end goal. Mm-hmm. Today, however, we're gonna start at the beginning. We're gonna try an exercise uh, to generate a new idea uh, for each of us to work on throughout the season. The exercise that we're doing today is inspired by a game called Sugar Porridge Spoons that I was first introduced to by Kay Tempest Bradford in a writing games workshop. There are three phases to the exercise, each of which comes with separate prompts. The first prompt asks you to write a list of something uh, for about three minutes. Then the second prompt asks you to take a few words from that list and write something about them for five minutes. And then you do a third prompt that asks you to take the short piece you just wrote and give it some sort of a twist, which you write for another 10 minutes. Because this game is not currently available for purchase, if it becomes so, we will update the episode notes to let you know, because it's a really cool game and would love to be able to give credit to uh, the, the folks who made it. Um, But because you cannot currently buy it and have a nice deck of cards to pull these prompts from, Leah and I have created three prompts for each other in secret. So I don't know what prompts Leah wrote for me, and Leah doesn't know what prompts I wrote for her. If you want to try this exercise with us, this means you get double bonus. You have options. You can pick. (laughs) You can pick between the prompts, whatever feels the most inspiring to you. Please, if you do them, I would love it so much if you shared your results. And if you're too shy, just you can DM them to us and I will hype you up. Oh like, my I God, will be yes. so excited to see. Truly nothing <laughs> would make me happier. Yes, we would absolutely love for you to do this with us. Remember, if you are, to pause and set your own timers for each of the sections. Because while we will have musical interludes in between introducing the prompts, we're going to cut them down to probably like 30 seconds instead of 10 minutes of just musical dead air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else that we should cover before we jump into this? Oh, man. I don't think so. I think we can get going. All right. So for our first prompt, we each have prepared something that we're going to make lists of for three minutes. I'll say, Leah, do you have a timer? I threw my phone across the room so it won't buzz while we're on uh, this call. <laughs> Yeah, hold on a sec. Perfect. Here it is. Okay, I'm ready. Cool. All right, do you want your prompt? Ooh, yes. All right, give it to me. Okay. For the next three minutes, 
I would like you to make a list of objects collected at the bottom of a forgotten well. Ooh. Ooh, I love this. Okay. Are you ready for your list? Lay it on me. Okay. For the next three minutes, I want you to make a list of nail polish names that would entice an elder heiress. An elder heiress. Phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Are we ready? Yep. And go. going to launch right into our next prompt and save all our reflection for the end. So, Leah, would you like your second prompt? Yes. For the next five minutes, you're going to first choose uh, three to five words that you've already written in your list, and you're going to use them to write the following prompt. Write about a ritual of cleaving, either together or apart. Ooh. I love the duality of this prompt. You're really good at these. Okay. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. I hope mine aren't too specific. I know mine are very specific. No, I love it. Let's go. Okay. So for the next five minutes, take a few few words from the, your list and write five minutes. And I want you to imagine you are in a desperate position where you've decided you must work with your enemy. Describe the letter you write accepting their offer to team up. Mwah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Five minutes. Let me hit the start button. Okay, go. ready for our final prompts yes okay leah for the next 10 minutes i would like you to take the piece of writing that you just did set it on fire what rises from the ashes it's interesting and really abstract i i like the abstract ones we may have given each other opposite kinds of prompts but this just means that our audience members have a range of options good Okay, here's yours. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, take what you've written and, I guess, rethink it as if it were an autobiography revealing your most secret and successful con. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Ten minutes? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. And go.
All right, that is our time. How you feeling, Leah? Pretty good. This was just really fun. And I, so I write really atmospheric pieces generally. And I do feel mm -hmm. like some of these prompts, they feel very tailor-made for that. Yeah, that was definitely one of the things. It's one of the things that I've loved about about when when I uh, first played this game was that the, a lot of the prompts that came up there were fairly abstract. And then I was like, well, that feels perfect for Leah. That feels <laughs> like exactly the realm I want to go in for some prompts for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious about, well, I guess just generally, how are you feeling as well to start? I'm feeling good. This was really, this was really fun. And I think like it was really cool to go into some very different directions and like getting to try and figure out how to twist those things and seeing the ways that like I didn't mean to but did kind of carry over things from each of the prompts into the other mm -hmm. was really, really fun. I first of all just have to, have we talked about my obsession with nail polish colors? No. Okay. <laughs> Um, if you're talking, if we're talking about tailor-made, I have for years, this is, I mean, this is true across many different cosmetic color naming things, but I personally feel that it is never more pronounced than with nail polish. The names on nail polish mm -hmm. are deeply ridiculous and I can't get enough <laughs> of them. They're just so silly yeah. and half the time, like, you know, you realize it's got to just be... Right at this point, like the big nail polish companies have just a database mm -hmm. full of colors, but they've got to keep coming up with new ones and they're going to need a new name for beige every <laughs> single year as they have slightly different beiges and new formulas and new whatever. And it talk about a great example of like forced creativity in terms mm -hmm. of like You've already run out of all the normal interesting ways to say beige. Now we're just into like puns that barely make sense. <laughs> so it was super fun to like start out with that and to have that like additional, like not just kooky nail polish colors. Cause if that had been it, I would have been like, uh, like I, I would have gotten there, but it, it, I like having a little bit more of a specific jump off point mm -hmm. or. I can't like that's why I love the way that this thing starts with a list where you have to come up with something concrete because I think that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. But God, yeah, I don't know. All of these could use more work because I, unlike the people at the nail polish companies, am not a <laughs> professional. Uh, I, I really I just uh, I admire their work. You're just a fan. <laughs> yeah, right. But we've got for, for some of the ones that I, I took words from. To go further, we have a third wedding ring. Ooh, good. Uh, mm -hmm. We have next season's satin. Mm -hmm. We have uh, diamonds are a dame's best friend, since you did say an elderly heiress. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and of course, yeah, there was a lot of cerulean summers. I think I've seen that one probably. Also a great one, though. Great for yachting. But yeah, and it's fun to start out with something that like feels goofy where you're like, boy, I don't know what I'm going to do with these nail polish colors. <laughs> yeah. But now I have a whole, I don't know, I think it's romance again, but it's also romance <laughs> with intrigue. Yes. Very enemies to lovers. Very. Yes. I mean, that the, the second prompt there felt like it was like, well, 
I that's that's where I love to go, and it was teed up right there. So we yeah. definitely have. You had enemies. no choice but to do it. I had no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, enemies to lovers trying to stop a wedding for some reason that I guess I'll have to figure out, and then the um, the the final arc, the like trying to write the autobiography announcing your greatest con, mm-hmm. felt initially like well, obviously it should be one of the enemies to lovers folks is like writing their autobiography but i was like what if it was someone different like let's do this kooky and so wrote a thing from someone else who was somehow involved in this and was (laughs) using this whole situation to steal a a, a diamond i don't know (laughs) we just i mean look you have to secretly match make some rich people because when people are in love they're not going to pay attention as much Mm -hmm. perfect Mm -hmm. con you can't you can't convince rich people that they have nothing to be suspicious over. Mm. But uh, but that this character's whole mo is like, if I could just set a little bit of things on fire and get these two enemies scheming together, uh, well they're gonna do it a lot louder than I'm scheming, and everyone's gonna be like, what are they up to? And like, great, I hear those kids. I hear they've got each other now. Good for them. Love finds a way, etc. But I've got the diamond, and none of you sons of bitches are ever gonna see it again. <laughs> So it went somewhere really fun that oh I did not God. expect when I was writing Diamonds Are a Dave's Best Friend. I was, when I gave you these prompts, I was thinking about how, I was thinking about how you said that, like you, I know that we both really love heists. Oh God, I did, I, I, I have another heist idea that I don't know how to fucking write. Oh, uh, you'll figure it out. But uh, yes. I guess I want, I really wanted to like, make prompts that would give you a kind of fun romp opportunity to explore this and it sounds like you did (laughs) i definitely went on a fun romp (laughs) i don't know maybe there's darker things to be uncovered but at least the thing i wrote today is very uh, very rompable yeah just a person who successfully achieved something is just kind of laughing about it like i want to read that they sound delightful Tell me about the arc for your exercise. Where did we go? Yes. So the lists um, for objects collected at the bottom of the well, you know, I immediately was like, okay, some of these are mystical. You know, I'm always on my mystical, magical bullshit. Love fantasy. <laughs> um, so it started as like a burnished silver dime, a dandelion wreath picked on a breezy summer's day. And then I said the echo of someone's losses, the echo of their wishes. Mm. A relic of a long forgotten god. Oh, and then it got kind of dark. There were uh, bones of an old frog and the frog's true love. Really dark, but also sort of fairy tale dark, which mm-hmm. we love. Yeah, droplets of watercolor paint tapped off the edge of a slim paintbrush. Got very specific. A locket containing a spirit who has made the well their home. And so from there, I went to, I was like, well, obviously, I thought about cleaving and I thought about bringing people together in this mm-hmm context um but also how that can go wrong and so someone is is like giving some another person instructions on what to do with things that were left behind by someone Mm -hmm. and so it's like uh you must drill a hole through that burnished silver dime i don't care how valuable it is but you can buy or save with it girl we are saving your life here take this dime and weave through it one flower from the dandelion wreath you made last summer tie it tight you must not let it fall when you step over the border and you must not trade it, not for anything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's 
it's so it's so great and this person is like trying to rush to write it down and all the while thinking about like the reality of what they're about to do like the last the last few sentences are like Layla had always been too lovely to be believed this is why she was taken but Margot would not lie down for some god's whims no one in her family had that was how they survived and took care of each other classic going to say your your best friend who maybe you have romantic feelings for <laughs> i what those stories <laughs> never i can't even lie never read them blessed um the third one was really interesting because like i don't think i could take the third one and make it into the story the set it on fire what rises from the ashes like the second mm-hmm. one felt like it was the start of the story and the third one felt to me like an opportunity to really explore what themes might show up sure like what appears from that so it's kind of like okay what would rise what would stay and then i started thinking a lot more about like the kind of the duality of fire and ashes and like Mm -hmm. what you choose to burn and how that can affect you and what is left behind and like maybe the regret you feel um, if you've burned something that you decided you needed or like if there's the burden you feel to keep certain things that should be burned. Um, so there are a lot of paragraphs like that. It, I wrote like you have to be made of hardier stuff than the flame. You're making a deal with it and it is taking from you too. Is that exchange worth it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I really love. I think my favorite thing about this exercise is that it does. It's funny, right? Because this is going to be the beginning of something that we're each going to take and build on. Mm-hmm. But do you start with your list? Do you start with the second piece? Do you start with the third piece? Mm-hmm. It's kind of up to you. And like I've done this this exercise before and gotten like three very different things that did mm-hmm. not feel related be- mm-hmm. just based on like where the prompts take you. Right. And also done it where it's like, no, these are clearly all the same thing, but on different layers. Mm. Right. Like um, this felt like one of those ones for me that was like different layers. This is clearly rich people, fuckery, (laughs) con, heist, nonsense, enemies to lovers, romp. And we started that with Inaris's nail polish colors, mm-hmm. right? Like it's the same vibe, and maybe those are. I'm not even sure who the heiress is in these scenarios. I don't know who's getting. There's so many details left to be <laughs> figured out. But that's kind of the fun thing about this is I don't know who's getting married, but I know this wedding has to be stopped, right? Mm-hmm. And like finding those pieces of story, and they really are like connected pieces. Mm-hmm. But it also can, and it can be such a cool way to discover a story on a different level when normally I feel like we start with an idea and then all of our focus gets on like how do we build this idea here on this level that we are Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's fun to go like what's a twist on this and maybe the twist on this finds a different story but sometimes it just takes you to a different part of the story I very much for the setting something on fire and seeing what rises from the ashes I think the the twist the first time I played this game that I got was Uh, The piece you wrote is a veil. Pull it back or tear it open. And I was like, and it was it was that was that was a more like mystical piece, too, where then it was like, oh, okay, 
This piece is not from the perspective of the people participating in the mystical ritual. This is the spirits there. <laughs> and it was just like some weird stream of consciousness, like all the angry spirits and what they actually, it was just a really fun and interesting thing that was like, oh, this is a whole new take on the piece. I would still, if I was going to continue that piece, I would still go back to the second one that was from the perspective of these characters and not the spirits. But the fact of having written that third one put such a different spin and like informed that like something else was going on in that second piece yeah in a way that was really cool for me yeah it's i like i like the freedom that um comes in when you're answering someone else's questions about the story or even if you're answering an unexpected question like i remember i wrote a haunted house story and i was halfway through and you know, a lot of haunted house stories are the opportunities to explore what's haunting the people, right? And their own past and, and whatever else. And then I was like, man, I just sat back and I was thinking, I was like, man, it would really suck to be the realtor in charge of this house. And then it was a completely new story because the yep. realtor is getting to know all the ghosts and they're like, God damn it, Dave, if you had just, can you just wait like a month? That's all I ask. <laughs> I just need to show this damn house. Right. I'm trying to pay for my child's tuition. I know you died in the 50s when university was free, but we live in a different world, Dave. Oh my God. <laughs> Very different vibes. Very different vibe. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the other things was to for us to chat about is like if we have any thoughts on like what we might want to do with this or where we might want to take it. Mm. And I'll say like I feel like as much as I I like the character of the the like person who's running this con uh while our other characters are trying to do their con, but I might just have to go for them. Mostly because also this feels like an enemies to lovers romance. And the mm -hmm. classic there is that you, your POV characters are the people falling in love. The whole start for this is uh, the wedding approaches and I'm out of options. Mm -hmm. I won't pretend I'm happy about this choice because I have zero interest in flattering your ego. If we're going to do this, let's be honest. I can't fucking stand you. But tis the season for strange bedfellows and a dame's gotta do what a dame's gotta do. <laughs> I accept your offer. And if you're planning on fucking me, oh enemy of my enemy, please do remember, I may not have the power to stop this wedding on my own, but I can still make your life a living hell. <sighs> so I feel like we gotta go figure out what their beef is. Oh my god. But also, here's the thing that I'm sitting with too, is this definitely feels like a romance, I am not really a fan of short story romances. Mm. I really struggle with them when yeah. I've, at least the ones that I've read, I tend to feel like that compressed format doesn't work for me in terms of this whole point is to show these characters' emotions developing and changing over time. Mm -hmm. Romance novels already tend to be short on the shorter side and also fairly compressed, uh, you know, in-world timeframes. Mm -hmm. So like compressing that even further into a short story doesn't super work for me usually. So I actually, I'm not sure what I want to do with this structurally. I think that's definitely going to be an interesting challenge here is this idea that I've kind of initially set up. The only ways that I have seen that done in a way that I've liked is a much longer piece. And I think it's going to be a really interesting challenge to figure out what does this look like from a shorter side. Like maybe it isn't, I think it probably actually 
well, I'm already going back on the thing I was saying. I don't think it's just they're they're the two people falling in love having their POVs because I think that's that's too much that typical format. And if I mm-hmm. I think if I went with that, I would be disappointed by the lack of ability to like build on that into a longer piece. Mm-hmm. But therefore, if I'm trying to like strip it down to something short that's still like powerful and gets at the thing, what does it look like? I don't know. A really interesting question. And I I wonder if there's, you know, I think you you might also have to contend with like, do you want to carry an epistolary style forward? Do you want yeah. this autobiography style? And like, what is the what is the impact there? And also, I feel like there's some exploration for us to figure out what what makes short stories work for us and why mm-hmm. and how do they work? Yeah, because I, I think you're right. I can't I mean, I don't often see short stories where the love is the focus either. Yeah. Or like romantic, I've read romantic short stories, Mm. but it's much more often where it's like focusing on a moment in a romance rather Mm -hmm. than telling the story of a romance, which is why I agree. Like it's not, it's not the center plot the way that a romance novel Mm -hmm. typically has. And and again, there are exceptions. I have read uh, romance short stories that try to do that. And they do a lot of great stuff, and there's definitely parts of them that I enjoy, but I've almost always just sort of walked away feeling a little dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, dissatisfied in a way that sometimes means I go write fanfic, and that's okay too, but yeah. <laughs> but it's not, that's not, I think, what I want to get out of this. Yeah. And it is, the epistolary idea might be, might be really valuable also, because that is, I think, will be a pretty significant feature of the longer romance that I'm working on as a, as a longer project. So it wouldn't be bad to like use this to focus on like, let's explore what you can do with this particular technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you you can kind of dovetail into your other longer writing projects and figure out how to strengthen them through just playing in another arena. Um, yeah. That's a great opportunity. I feel like, I don't know, would love to hear where you're thinking of taking your piece, but I feel very similarly about what you read from yours and what I know of your longer piece that I'm like, these feel like uh, maybe these, maybe these pieces of writing are friends. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're well, I, I was reflecting on that and I was wondering to myself, like, am I still, I think some of the themes that show up in my novel are showing up here. And it could be because I'm still so s- steeped into that novel right now that that's, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about it in a roundabout way. And I was reflecting on that because writing this short story where, again, it seems like it's set up for someone to go out and, you know, fight for or save someone they love or have lost, very similar to what I'm I'm writing now. And so after I finished, I was actually thinking, and I was wondering if I could flip the switch and write about it from the perspective of the person who I guess kind of makes the rituals, constructs them for for people and how their story changes and how their relationship with the rituals they're giving out changes um, over Mm -hmm. their life. I think that that could be interesting. Um, And it almost seems like it would be like a few vignettes. Yeah. And then the question I have to think about is like, well, what is their arc? Like, what am I saying about 
about these rituals and about the ritual maker who I think is not very like her arc isn't really explored in anything I've written so far yeah no I think that sounds really interesting you certainly could do even just like a whole thing that's just the whole like the one side of the conversation mm-hmm. like one of those things where yeah it's just sort of this like long like this whole story is basically a monologue from this one character who's mm-hmm. like talking to someone who you don't actually get to like see except through the eyes there or yeah or this like ritual creator in vignette style i do love me some vignettes Same. they're so fun mm-hmm. and it gives me an opportunity to I, lately i don't know why but whenever a short story or even a novel opens with like a little epigraph or a little list of things that you find out is connected at the end uh, that just I don't know why I love it so much. Was that the style of the chapter titles in The Girl Who Drank the Moon where it's like, in which so-and-so discovers this? And you're like, huh? And then you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, or or just like really abstract. Like I've read a mm-hmm. couple that will be like, it'll be the opening of the chapter. And it'll be um, like there was one short story I read about, it was about perfumes mm. and a a kind of perfumier. Is that how you pronounce that? I think, I mean, sounds yeah, right. that's, that's, that sounds, it's a French word that we've anglicized. So yeah. how are you ever supposed to pronounce those things? <laughs> I don't know. Right. I think in French it'd be like parfumier. So like perfumier sounds probably like the anglicized yeah. version. Close enough. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And so each little kind of vignette, you're kind of following their life and the opening is just kind of this abstract description of what the different perfumes smell like. Ooh, yeah, yeah. But they're very connected to the particular person the perfumier made the the perfume for. So they're couched in that. And I really, ugh, I loved it because it has the vibes. And as you know, I'm obsessed with vibes. We are here for vibes. And honestly... I tend to feel like vibes are what make a short story in particular. Mm-hmm. Same. Like it's it's all it's harder in many ways to construct the plot based aspects of a short story because you have less room to like wiggle around and figure it out. You only have so many words to like move your plot forward. So I don't think that part's necessarily easier. But I do think that, like we've talked before, some sometimes we've enjoyed reading books where it's like. This was basically all vibes, no plot. I think it is much easier to have a successful short story that is lighter on plot and heavier on vibes because you don't have that much, just even just like chronological time where you have the reader's attention to take them on a beginning, middle, end, complete feeling journey there. It's possible, and I'm always very impressed when I see it done as someone who struggles with plot when I have room and space. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, like I think some of my favorite short stories end up being like snapshots of yes. of a broader arc, and in a way that implies the beginning of the arc or implies the end of it or mm-hmm. all of those different things so that you still have a sense of a full story, even though really you just saw chunk this one moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, a lot of my favorite short stories are ones that you can, as the reader, expand on in different mm-hmm. ways. Like, I'm almost satisfied. I'm often satisfied just with, like, oh, that was a really interesting idea that they were playing with. Yeah. 
and sometimes I find when like short story writers try to add or force in that arc, I'm like annoyed because it either because like you said, it feels too fast. Like it wasn't developed to the degree I wanted it to be, or it just, there's something about it that just felt like it didn't, it didn't quite work in a way that I can't, I can't quite explain. Yeah. So I think there's something that my dad always talks about this, uh, that is very true. I think about in particular about film as an art form, which is that generally speaking, you don't have anything on there that doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, why would you have a shot of the bike if the bike doesn't matter? It's it's Chekhov's gun, but on a whole nother level because mm-hmm. it is very, very expensive to make a movie. And, I mean, granted, recently we're constantly expanding our idea of how long a movie can be, <laughs> but... You know, there there certainly were like times in film's history where there there wasn't that kind of flexibility, and it's still very expensive to make a movie, and so there's just not a lot of you know extra meat on the bone for those kinds of stories, mm-hmm. and I think it's something that creates an interesting uh, art form, and and is part of the thing that I think is always the tra- the challenge when you're like adapting books that have all the time and spaciousness to give you like deep lore. And then you go into a movie or a TV show where you're like, not only is it just hard to show you people's internal monologues on screen, but like, we don't have that kind of time. Yeah, there's a kind of flattening. And things can still be like really interesting, different versions of it. Mm-hmm. But um, but it is it is that kind of thing. And I think there's an element of that for short stories in terms of you don't have that much time to wax poetic about things that don't matter Mm. or not even don't matter but that aren't the core of what you're trying to say because you don't have that many words to play with if there's something that's interesting but not core Mm -hmm. you should consider reconsider whether it actually needs to be there or whether you should be spending that time on the thing that's core and I think a lot of times it's easy to miss the fact that sometimes the plot really isn't the point And I think a lot more people come up with stories where the plot isn't the point, but they don't realize that there is still like a sense like, well, I have to show that in the end, she makes this decision. Yeah. Like you actually don't. Your story is about the moment of indecision. Mm -hmm. And it's actually great and fine to leave it there. And that. I mean, I, I'm talking like I, you know, do this and this is something <laughs> I'm working on. I know that this is a good practice and it's something I try to embody in my writing. But it is really challenging to find that faith in your own instincts mm-hmm. as well as your faith in your readers to be able to sit with and understand and take value from the thing that you are trying to say. Yeah, it's a real a practice and. In- and really examining what is important, which I think can, it's interesting. It can both be harder and easier in a novel because on one hand you have so much space and on the other hand you have so much space. Yeah, um, There's yep, so yep, many yep. places to whittle down. Um, the short story kind of offers you an opportunity to really look into and focus on, you know, a smaller set of ideas. Yeah. I, I think this is going to be a, 
going to be an interesting experiment. And I feel like my, my writing skills are going to grow a lot. I don't write as many short stories. And some right. of it is because I am just obsessed with this idea that once I have the big project TM, that's all I can write. And if I write something else that I'm taking away from the big project TM, mm -hmm. and it's, it's not sure. I think the skills that we're building here are going to be really valuable as we revise our own novels and think about them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's also part of why there's actually nothing to feel bad about when you're like, oh, I seem to be uh, still touching on a lot of the similar themes is that sometimes those kinds of other side projects are the freedom you need to to do what you were talking about, right? Like it can be really hard to change the massive work in progress, even as you know, like maybe this should change. But saying, I'm going to write a different story that happens to touch on some similar themes, but it's a different approach and it's a different length of project it's a different scope it's going to be a different thing it's a little bit like getting to do you know the staged exercises here of it's exploring these things on different levels and it might help you figure out thematically more what pieces are interesting to you mm -hmm. or like I know sometimes when I've gotten stuck with like oh should the protagonist do x or should they do y I like both <laughs> and eventually you have to choose one but it doesn't mean that the other one was a bad or uninteresting idea. It just can mean like, maybe that's a different story. Maybe I have multiple stories to tell. Hey, that's nice. <laughs> it can be sometimes really satisfying to realize like, oh, these things that I'm stressed about choosing between for this project, it's a lot less stressful when, you know, actually, I'm, I'm just going to write some of them over here and suddenly mm -hmm. I'm way less stressed about like, but why can't I put my cool thing in my big project? It's like, that's mm -hmm. fine. It lives somewhere else. It yeah. lives and is its own thing over there. Yeah, it can also unearth. I mean, even if you might find that actually, like, it does live over there, but it should also live in your novel. And that's fine, too. It can illuminate. Yeah. It's, it's like that experiment um, that people reference occasionally when they talk about decision-making, where a professor would have uh, students choose like have two options maybe that they're struggling between and then flip a coin and you know how it is sometimes when you flip a coin you start to think this is what i want it to land on mm -hmm. so just just the practice of a, a taking a risk and taking a plunge towards one of those two decisions can help you illuminate which one you really want to pursue for this longer project and maybe it's the one that you wrote in your short story and maybe it's not absolutely i actually think that coin metaphor for me is a perfect example of what we were talking about at the beginning about not letting the plan mm -hmm. get in the way of the process because I cannot tell you the number of times I've done that. It's like, oh, we'll flip a coin if it's heads this, if it's tails this, and it's heads. And I'm like, oh, I'm bummed. I now realize that I want it to be tails. And the funny thing is, is that often then I've still decided I'm like, well, now I realize that I want it to be tails, so I'm going to do that. But I've still felt bad, mm -hmm. even though the only reason I was flipping the coin in the first place was to help me figure out something I didn't know. Been there. <laughs> and it did, in fact, help me figure out what I didn't know. Yeah. It just wasn't the way that I planned for it to do so. Mm -hmm. And somehow I'm still sitting there, even though it's like, okay, I've, I've won, right? I, I was confused. Now I know what I want. I feel confident in this decision, but I feel guilty to the coin I flipped. Same, yep, same. Hmm. Yeah, it feels like you you set rules with the coin. You're like, okay, coin, 
here are the rules. And the coin kept up its end of the bargain. It flipped. And you didn't keep up your end. You know, you're letting the coin down. You're letting yourself down. I feel exactly the same way. (laughs) For what? This is, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It definitely feels like one of those things where I'm like, that's a weird thing, brain. I think we need to work on that. I think we should not feel like we, you know, Oh, the theoretical concept of rules, our allegiance in this such an extreme way. Maybe for things that actually don't even affect, let alone harm other people, maybe it's fine that our made-up rules we make up in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine to change the rules when they're not working. It was the same. I feel like it's a, a different version of the kind of guilt or fear we feel when we're writing it in a a certain way using a certain routine and that routine stops working. Mm-hmm. There's like a period of time where I must continue Just you know, I'm hearing the just click, click screech of the gears that are, are not, are no longer aligned. And I'm just gritting my teeth and I'm like, no, I could write with screaming in my head. I told myself I would. And then eventually you just have to be like, all right, this isn't working and I have to let it go. But there has to be that period of time of struggle where you're, you feel just existential angst over a coin. I have this. This relates to writing, but my bone to pick is much broader than that. We need to stop telling people that giving up is bad. Mm-hmm. We just need to knock it off. Like, it's true that giving up on things that really matter to you um, is a good thing to spend a lot of time thinking about if that's really what you want all things considered. Mm -hmm. But like, we need to stop convincing people that anytime you walk away from something, you have failed because like, it's keeping people in bad writing habits and bad relationships and Mm. bad jobs Mm. and bad everything. So that's, that's my, uh, my soapbox for the day. My writing related question. It feels like we've been talking a lot about short stories. Do you feel like that's the format that you're probably going to move forward with for this? Because I was kind of thinking that, but now I'm also trying to like double check and be like, all right, am I just going to this because it feels like default? Is there, is there a more interesting way to write this? Especially in terms of what we were just talking about too, for like trying to practice paring down mm-hmm. the our idea in ways that like show what what's core and what matters Mm. there's a lot of different options for things i don't know what are you thinking i want to try writing a short story Mm -hmm. but if the end product isn't a short story i'm not going to be mad about that Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's how i'm feeling how are you feeling i definitely yeah my my instinct here is short story but i am trying to like I don't know, Leah. What if it's what if it's a tabletop role playing game? Ooh, <laughs> what if, yes. What if it's what if it's um like a short film script? I I I've been thinking a lot about this because I have been doing more writing for tabletop uh and and for Dungeons and Dragons specifically, and thinking about that in terms of I've never written uh in script format before, but from reading scripts. Both of those different formats are different examples of you don't write certain things that are very important that you would write in a novel Mm. and usually like in very opposite ways, right? Like for a script, you write all of the dialogue, but you don't spend that much time on 
saying why people are saying things or how they're saying them, because mostly you're leaving that and so much else up to other people to come along and say, an actor to say, this is this is the character's motivation, for a costume designer to say what they're wearing, for all these other people who work on films to put that together. And for role-playing games, it's a similar kind of thing, but it's the opposite in that you write all the setting and motivation, but the dialogue, you are you mostly don't write the dialogue of any of the characters you create because mm. you're just handing this over as like a manual to whoever's going to run the game to be like, this is who this character is. This is kind of their vibe to try to like give them something interesting. But, you know, there's 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 a point in a project I was working on recently where like, oh, this is the moment where they they the characters will have a one on one with the big bad. What do they say? That's not something you write when you put it here. You describe what what, you know, the 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 big bad is trying to get out of it. You give some some direction and clues and interesting pieces for the other person to play with. I'm going to spend some time thinking about this, but I, my instinct right now is that the thing that I'm probably going to write is a short story. Mm. But that it's still probably worth thinking about those because I think the thing about film and role-playing games is that both of those different kinds of writing really rely on having faith in the other people who are collaborating in the process, right? You're As a script writer, you have to have faith that you're going to get good actors and other people working on this project who are going to see this and do something else really cool with it that maybe you wouldn't see. And same for writing for role-playing games. You have to trust that you're going to hand it over to a game master and a table of players who you will never see most of the time and that you have to trust them to be able to run with it and do cool things. And I think that there's a layer of truth to that for novels and short stories as well that's so much easier to miss because mm-hmm. you're not handing it over as much to like other creators but you are handing it over to readers who are also kind of creators yeah it's the reader's story yeah it's a really interesting exercise and i hadn't even thought of like i thought of like a poem i hadn't even Mm -hmm. thought of a game which like in which case i would be like you know there are so many ways to do it design you just designing a game and designing a world for people to play in basically Mm -hmm. Hmm. i don't know like i I still feel attached to this idea of a short story. Yeah. I I almost wonder if like, you know, we could try writing a piece of, not we, but maybe me, I could try writing a piece of flash fiction and then decide, okay, do I want to make this into a short story? Do I want to go somewhere else with it? Yeah. I'm also in a place where I, like, I don't, I don't really write any of those styles very often. So for me, this is also an opportunity to think about, you know, I've never written a tabletop game and I don't play them as often. So like, do I want to take the time to to research this right now? Is that where I want to go? Or do I want to go towards something that I'm a little bit more familiar with and that I, like, I feel maybe more confident that I could hone into something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I don't think there's there's a right or a wrong here. Oh, definitely not. I mention it because I think that because I think there are similarities in terms of mm-hmm. what we were saying too about short stories and how you don't have that much space and it requiring that faith in yourself that to know, nope, this is the story I'm telling and I'm not going to say the extra stuff because that's extra. Mm-hmm. And I have faith in my own ability to recognize what's core to my story and what is extra. Mm-hmm. And 
specifically to have faith in your readers as co-creators to say, I know they're going to be able to fill in the extra and be able to piece all those things together in ways that are particularly interesting to them. And it's one of the things that can be so cool about writing in those different formats and I think can also be adopted for short stories is that like, it's so easy to get spun up in your head about like, should a character do this or do this? Yeah. And when you can leave certain things up to a game master and players, to a director and actors, or to readers that you have real faith in, it's also nice because it kind of gets you out of that bind where you're like, which happens? You decide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only going to tell the parts that I feel passionate and confident about. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is open to your interpretation and using that those kinds of logics, even for like just writing a short story to be like, what is the like core of this? Yeah, and I think these other modalities, I guess, these other types of writing, in some ways, if you're kind of making a game or you're writing a a screenplay, like, I think you can get more, like, immediate or direct reactions or senses of how the readers or the receiver of the art is interpreting it by what they choose to put into it in a way that you you don't necessarily see as much with a short story or a book, mm-hmm. which I think is a an interesting interesting thing to explore and maybe something for us to think about before our, our next episode. So many good options. And we're going to, yeah, now find more exercises for building on and eventually finishing whatever these turn out to be. All right, I think that is it for us. Uh, Thank you so much for wandering with us here on Working Title today. You can follow us on Twitter at WorkTitlePod for some sneak peeks into what we're reading next. And to let us know if you did this exercise and how it went for you. Uh, We would love to chat with you about that. Take care, stumble forward, and uh, see you next time. Bye!